This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The need for self-discipline. Do you not know that in a race all the runners are run, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. And to welcome to those that are joining online as well. well let us pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are starting a new sermon series. And I'm calling this one Track and Field. And uh, you say, ooh, track and field, track and field. And that's because there's a little event going on in the world right now called the Olympics, right? And uh, as you think about the Olympics, I don't know about you, but I love the Olympics. I love them, love them, love them. Hello? Am I in or out? Am I good? Okay, I keep coming in and out. Okay. But I love the Olympics, and I hope you do too uh, here today. And so we're going to be doing a a sermon series next few weeks uh, titled Track and Field. And that's because you might be surprised, but there's a number of scriptures that use the imagery of track and field about the faith. And they use it as a, a metaphor, if you will, an image for us to, th- to sink into and to realize and think about the faith and certain aspects of that. And so we're going to be spending some time in track and field and focusing on something different each and every week. Each and every week, that is. Now, first of all, just to mention to you that in your bulletin, we're going to try something new. There's some uh, sermon notes section in there with some fill-in-the-blanks. And so if you want to feel active this morning and, and want, to, want to do that, you're welcome to do that. Uh, you can hunt and find them uh, in the fill-in-the-blanks if you want to do that. We'll try that out this week, see if it's something you guys enjoy. And if, try it out for the next couple weeks, actually, see if it's something we want to continue or not. If you're joining online, we uh, are going to kind of test it out here and maybe put it online for you as well, too, uh, in certain ways in these days ahead that you may have the opportunity to fill them in some how uh, with our Ezekiel program as well. But the Olympics, right? They happen every four years. They've been going on for a long period of time. Oh, okay. Am I good? Am I? Okay. <laughs> We're trying something. Okay. They've been going on for a long period of time, and uh, they're just a wonderful, wonderful expression of the humanity getting together for something good and something entertaining, but also something much more meaningful than just the events and the sports in and of themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're an Olympic fan, you know, it's also fun because there's so many Olympic sports that you only get to see every four years because, let's face it, some of the events just week in and week out don't have the entertainment value and don't get on TV nearly as much as maybe they deserve. And so it's real fun to see all sorts of different things. Like synchronized swimming is really fun. I love for some of us, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> all right. So, so there's all these different sports, right? They all, they all have different entertainment values to each of us and, and obviously uh, different things that we enjoy about them. But I have to say, out of all the Olympics, and this is our first fill in the blank, the best Olympics ever was this one. Is The best Olympics ever is the year 
1996. And you say, it was Atlanta, that's right. So I might be a little biased in this because I lived in Atlanta at the time. And so obviously uh, I would say to you that unbiasedly, this is not the most famous and best Olympics ever, but because your pastor got to live there, in my mind, it's the best Olympics ever. And I still remember uh, the song, you know, they had like a little cheering song that was like, the world is coming to Atlanta. And that is like, they, and they played it all like over and over and over. If you lived in Atlanta, you, you got to hear the song over and over and over again. And there was the, you know, the mascot that everybody was like, what in the world? His name was Izzy. And, well, it was the first, what's it? Then it became Izzy. And it was like this thing that would morph. It was like a morphable mascot that would become like a football or a, like you know it came all these different things and it was just kind of silly but uh atlanta we got a good kick of making fun of that for years and so uh we had the olympics but we had the olympics and i got to go see so many of the events of the olympics uh, i had just the the privilege of uh, my dad had the opportunity and so he got some tickets to all sorts of things and between him and uh my my family as well as friends you know that had extra tickets to things or uh maybe even my sister taking me to something like this i got to see a whole bunch of different uh, olympics during those couple weeks and got to see some so many great things now it's interesting thinking back on that i'm going to tell some stories throughout this uh time here but uh if i'm really unbiased though i just have to say for a moment the best Olympics was actually the Winter Olympics of 1980. Because you hockey fans know what happened then, right? It was the miracle on ice, which let's be honest, if you're gonna put any sporting event probably like on the continuum of just amazing miracle, miraculous things that have ever happened, a bunch of college kids beating the Soviet Union's best players was is up there, right? I mean, that's that's just quite amazing. And not only the Soviet Union, but all the other teams they faced that were the best in the world. And these college kids beat them all and got the gold Olympics that week that year. That's just I, I don't think there's ever been anything quite like that. That still is the best, in my opinion. But 1996 Olympics was in my hometown, so there you go, right? That's your first film blank. But it is confusing, right? This Olympics that's coming up because it's the Tokyo Olympics. And it's happening in 2021, but you've seen the advertisements and the way that everybody talks about it. The official name of the Olympics will forever be the 2020 Olympics, right? And so that's your next fill in the blank there, the 2020 Olympics. And so everything that's ever going to say in history books and all that, they want it in 2020, but they didn't because it was 2021. But I guess we don't want to get off the count for some reason or something like that. But it's the 2020 Olympics and all these different things that you're going to be seeing coming up. But it's interesting looking at the Olympics and all the different sports, because in so many ways, the athletes and what they go through remind us of a Christian life and how God calls us to live, to be focused and to work hard at something. And so in many ways, like I told you in scripture, the Christian life is often described, there's your next fill in the blank, like a race, a race. And it's kind of interesting because of all the different images that are used to describe the Christian life, you know, this is one that we normally don't necessarily think about all the time. But if you're an athlete, you probably spent some time in different fellowship groups and things like that and Bible studies, maybe, where you kind of looked at these verses and really kind of looked at them and, and, and saw what they were trying to say to us. But the Christian life can be like a race. Now, in my life, I've never ran a race. The closest thing I ever got to it, uh, like a true race, I mean, the closest thing I ever got to it, my buddy Taylor uh, Clark, if you're ever watching this, Taylor, hello to you. Uh, we had the idea that we were in college, we were going to train for a marathon. And the idea was at the end of the college year, and we were just, you know, two dudes. We just, you know, I played lacrosse and stuff, but like, you know, we were just guys that were just like, let's just do it just to do it. Like, no, no other reason. We didn't really want to. It was just like, 
can you do it? And the other one's like, no, you can't do it. And it was like, okay, let's do it. So we had this, this competition to see who could do it. And my buddy Taylor actually did it, right? right? He actually went through, he did the Richmond uh, City Marathon. And uh, I remember going and watching him do that. But the closest I ever got to it was I got on the track for just a little bit to take pictures of him as he ran by that final last half mile. And that was uh, the closest I've ever got to actually doing an official, you know, real actual sponsored, uh, you know, time type of race. That's not just kind of like a 5K or something, but like a real true marathon. And uh, but I, my buddy Taylor went by and I waved to him, you know, and that's, that's about as close as I got. But some of us in this room have done races and maybe some of that training and the things that you went through, you'll recognize here today. But in order to win a race, if you think about a race and the scripture that we talk about here today in 1 Corinthians, Paul is describing life being like a race in the Christian life. And in fact, he tells us to run it like a race. And as you look through this, there's all sorts of different things that he says in there. But he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, right? And so what's the next line that he throws in there? So go ahead and throw it up there, Brian. Run in such a way as to get the prize, right? So think of this Christian life like a race. You are in a race, and you have to run it like you're going to run it to win the prize. And so what do you do? So everyone who competes in the game goes through strict training. They do this to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And the scripture is going to keep on going here. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> go ahead and fill in the blanks, Brian. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified from the prize. From this scripture, I think there's different things that we can take from it, but it definitely calls into order four different things that I think we need to talk about here today. So in order to win a race... There are certain things that one must do, right? So here's some more fill in the blanks for you. The first one is this, is you have to compete according to the rules. It's so sad that in today's world, oftentimes whenever there's some great achievement in sports, the next thing you have to wait for, you know, you don't just get to celebrate the achievement, you almost have like this waiting period to see like, are they gonna get caught cheating for something? Because so many of our, our sports heroes have done something along the way, lines of performing enhancing drugs, or they cheated somehow, or they did something wrong. And you know, even when you see a horse race, there's always that time afterwards you wonder, like, did they get disqualified? Did they not? And so you just hold your breath aimlessly for a moment. But nonetheless, we're called to run the race of life and the Christian life in a way that we don't get disqualified, which means we must run and compete according to the rules. I don't know how many of you all know the name Ro Rosie Ruiz. Do you guys remember this name? Anybody? Rosie Ruiz, you remember her. She was from 1980 as well, the same uh, one as the Miracle Olympics. But 1980, there was a uh, little event called the Boston City Marathon, right? And you may remember that there was a winner that year that basically had the third fastest marathon time for any lady and woman in history of the marathon races and have recorded. And she ran it in two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. But there was a problem. Because everybody's kind of sitting there and wondering about this rosy lady. And in fact, when talking with her, some of the, the other winners and stuff were talking with her, and they were asking her about her intervals and her split times, and she said she didn't know what those were at all, which every runner apparently knows exactly what those mean and could give them right off the top of their head. When she crossed, she wasn't really that sweaty. She wasn't really panting that much. They noticed that just when she's sitting around, her resting heart rate is 76 when most marathon runners are in the 50s or somewhere like that. 
they noticed that her time from the qualifying marathon in New York City was 25 minutes behind this run, which was quite a big, huge, you know, upscale and, and running times. And so that kind of didn't make sense. And then it just, things just weren't adding up. For instance, no one could remember seeing her on the race at all. And in fact, about halfway through the race, there were clear two distinct winners, like one person, one lady was in front, and then another person they were kind of battling out. And no one remembered anybody passing them the whole entire race. And so nothing was making sense. And you know, they had already you know, declared who was winning at those points in the race, and no one ever passed them. And so people were wondering. And it turns out that Rosie, in the last half mile, jumped out of the crowd, snuck onto the course, and ran in real quick. And then it further came out that in the New York City Marathon, she got on a subway with somebody, took the subway to the end of the course, walked across the line, told the people that she was injured, and she got treated as an injury, all that type of stuff, and her time got put in, in that time, which was a qualifying time to run the Boston City Marathon in the first place. So she not only cheated in the Boston, but she cheated in the New York City qualifier as well, right? And in other words, she got disqualified, right? She did not end up winning the race. It did not work out well for her. It did not go, go very well at all. And in fact, she ran the race in such a way that she did not, of course, compete according to the rules. And she got disqualified. On well, the Christian life, there are things that are just out of bounds, right? I mean, just clearly things that aren't just mistakes, that aren't just hurdles, that are setbacks. There are things that will destroy us, that will take us down paths we're not supposed to go down to. And if we're careful not to get them out of our life, they will consume us and destroy us. I'm talking about, this isn't a full list, but just some things like selfishness, like accumulating vast amounts of material wealth without giving it out to others who need it, like filling one's life with gossip, or filling one's life with pornography, or filling one's life with just constant lies that constantly need more lies to make those other lies make sense, like we saw with Rosie in her Boston and New York City marathons. You see, there are things in life that are just off track and don't count and send us away from the prize, away from the end, and end up consuming us. And remembering this here today, we need to compete according to the rules, which means we do our best, right? To think about the ways that God has said, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do this. This will bring you life. This will bring you death. To take seriously those calls, to put those actions into our life. The second thing that we have to do is not only compete according to the rules, but we have to train, right? We have to train. And we do this by doing all sorts of different things. But basically, I've been amazed that after being a, a follower of Christ, now, so not just a Christian, but a, a follower of Christ for about 25 years now, I'm amazed there's always more, right? And if you think about training, one of the, the aspects of training is that you have to keep pushing yourself. And I'm amazed that even after 25 years of, of continual, you know, trying to be more and do more and become more like Jesus Christ, the, the, the end goal is still far off, right? I mean, I'm still not there. And the idea that there's always more things that can happen. There's less harm that can happen. There's more good that can happen. And what we would call acts of piety, even those can fill up more of my life. It's amazing to think of how far back this sinful creature was, right? And that even after all this time that God loved that creature and continues to turn him into the man that I am today, and that I'm not done yet, right? That God is continually training and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, that hopefully in my life there's more aspects that I do less harm to others, there's more good that I do to others, there's more acts of piety, and those pieties are deeper and richer. 
And by acts of piety, I mean devotion and worship, especially where those acts can become more and more retrained. And so think about in the ways of your life, what are the ways in your life that you do harm? What are the ways in your life you do good? What are those ways in your life that devotion and worship maybe get placed instead of the primary part of your life, they get placed on hold or they just kind of fall by the wayside or they just don't have time in the day to get to them, to commit more and more to train, to do more to do them better when you do do them, to do more reps, if you will, to put on the weights even harder and to do and more and more and more, and to become better than we were the day before, to train. The third thing is this, is to be disciplined. See, our fill in the blanks jumped, the, the, apparently the thing didn't go right there and it jumped ahead there, but be disciplined so you can fill in their blank. When you think about life and you think about an athlete, you can't just train, you have to do it with discipline. In fact, our scripture reminds us of this, about the discipline that was there. We have to repeat those, especially those basics again and again. All that training, you can't just do it once. You have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You have to do it regularly and with frequency, and you can't miss. One of the things in the Olympics that always amazes me when they interview like the gold medal winners and stuff like that, a lot of times they'll talk about their life. And what was it like being you know, someone who trained as an Olympic athlete? And especially those younger people that got, you know, selected when they were real young, they showed these great, you know, aptitude and great uh, potential. And so they got selected, you know, when they were like 10 or 8. And throughout their whole life, pretty much that they remember at this point, they've always been training for the Olympics when they finally get to go when they're like 18. And I'm always amazed of, if I could say one word more than anything else, the sacrifice. Sacrifice. And you listen to him, and there's a heart, there's part of me that always as a human breaks my heart because they talk about the birthday parties they missed. And not just like the person that they were invited to in their school, like the birthday parties, like someone dear, like one of their best friends, or like one of their cousins that they're really close with, or something like that, where they had to miss events. They had to miss vacations their family went on. They had to miss out on the school, like out you know, going and rec days and things like that and all these different types of stuff. They had to miss out on just regular playtime and being a kid and riding a bike around the neighborhood. They had to miss out on eating ice cream and keep their body, you know, fit and all these different things and just sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that they made. And part of that is discipline. And in fact, one of the things that, that breaks my heart too is not only those that qualify for Olympics, but you see that sacrifice really kind of trickle down into all youth sports nowadays. It's amazing to talk, uh, you know, see not only family members and friends of mine, but also just people on the radio constantly talk about my kids in club basketball. And we're traveling two hours to go to, you know, this isn't the, the team for even the high school or anything like that. This is just for fun rec league. And we're traveling two hours and spending hours on hotels and all this money and all this life that we're missing out on just to do rec league basketball for my kids. And it's trickling down. But nonetheless, there is a, a habit here, a discipline here of thinking in life in terms of this is what are you willing to sacrifice? I know we don't often think this way, but you know, if you think about, for instance, worship on a Sunday morning, one of the things when I was a youth pastor that was very relevant to me is how many times youth on Sunday morning, you know, come to bring a youth to church was second nature, or second fiddle, if you will, to what else was going on. And so there was kind of this thought like, oh, there's always Sunday morning. So whenever this, uh, this opportunity comes up, we need to take it to do this with our youth. And what ended up what happening was out of 52 weeks of a year, 16 of them were in church. 
right? But if you ever ask that parent, you know, what's the priority? They'd say, oh, well, you know, coming to church is a priority number one, you know, growing up in the faith, all those different things. And there's always this kind of gentle way I'd have to explain. I'd say, well, you know, out of 52 weeks, and you only make 16, and throughout the rest of the week, there's no other instruction, Christian instruction, there's no other fellowship, there's no anything that you have involved in because your kid's doing all these activities. You know, what are you teaching your kid? And, you know, always with that reflection, they normally would say, well, you're right. You know, I'm, we're teaching them what we don't necessarily want. And so there was always this idea, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, as I think about my own life, you never know how much time we have left. But if you knew you only had 52 more opportunities to worship, how precious would those be, right? And of course, we don't know what tomorrow holds for each of us. But it becomes really relevant when we start thinking in terms of what do we sacrifice for the opportunity of doing something else. We need to be disciplined with how we do live our life. The last thing is this, we have to outcompete, right? And this is just relevant in any race. There's always other people you're racing against. Otherwise, it's really not a race, right? You're just training in that point. But a race, you actually run against other runners. Now, this is a little different because this is not part of the Christian understanding, is you're not competing against other Christians, but you do have to outcompete. The outcompeting is not with other people, it's with yourself. You see in our life, there's always our best self, if you will, and there's always our worst self, and they're constantly battling, right? And it's over even just the smallest little things and little decisions. It's been interesting to uh, read a little bit. I've been reading a little about health and wellness, all sorts of stuff, right? Because your pastor is about to become super healthy. No, really, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and I've been reading all about it, and specifically I've been reading this one book by, his name is Dr. Wayne Scott Anderson, and talking about... He names the book Habits of Health. It's all about well-being and different aspects of that. And specifically, he was a doctor. He was in one of the critical care type people that helped bring in intensive care as we know it today in, in the United States. And he had some other credentials that I won't even mention here. But he's done a whole bunch of stuff. And part of his journey was he realized that the patients he was treating and bringing health back to got there from a long list of things and events that happened before that. And eventually he just decided, you know what, to really cure people, to really help people, I have to go way upstream on this. I have to go to their daily lives way before they get sick because there's so many habits in American culture that we have that without even thinking about it, without kind of going against the grain, if you will, we're really just leading ourselves to sickness. And so he was describing in this book all sorts of things. But what was so amazing to me was the idea of micro habits. And basically the change of habits that he does boils down to this idea of micro habits of those little things you don't think about that you just instinctively do because your brain is processing other things. And unless you're really careful, the way this world just kind of morphs into you, you naturally have micro habits that are really, really bad and actually lead you to really bad things. Such as, you know, when you, there's that little tiny Snickers bar, you know, that you're walking past and it's in that little bowl and you just don't even think about it. You just... You don't even taste it, right? You just eat it. You don't even know you ate it, right? You know what I'm saying? He's, he talks about that and our micro habits of today, yet we're wired to do these different things. And he talked about how those little, all those little micro habits add up to sickness in American, the way we just naturally live. And that part of being healthy is the idea that we have to sort of fight those micro habits and we have to take them, those little tiny things that we do that we don't even think about and do every day and rethink them to put them and put in in place different other micro habits that lead to health. 
But I found it so interesting that there's always this best you and worst you, even in this thinking, uh, every single moment, there's this best you and worst you constantly at war with just your health. How much so more is the spiritual realm? That there is still sin that's part of our life that's constantly trying to drag us and go away from God and do its own thing and to be self-absorbed and there's constantly a part of us that's the best us that God has given us. The truth is they're at war with each other and ultimately for followers of Christ, the best you is eventually going to win because of God's power. But nonetheless, each and every day, there's that war that happens between us. And we have to outcompete. We have to think through all those little habits that we do of is it our best self or is it our worst self? Is it our best self that honors God that's running the race or is it our worst self that wants what we want because we want it and we want it now? Which one is winning? Well, this is just the intro to track and field, but I would call it discipline because we need to do these four things. We have to compete according to the rules. We have to train. We have to be disciplined. We have to outcompete that very self that wants to lose the race instead of winning it. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your word, and especially this writing of Paul that uses this analogy, Lord, that we're so vibrant. And so just being played out in front of us these next few weeks with the Olympics. God, every time we look at these athletes, what's going on in their lives and how they run with determination, we think about the sacrifices they made, the training that was constant and needed to become who they were today. Lord, just the fact that there's always this competition, I mean, all those things remind us of our own life, our life with you, our life with each other. God, help us to live in a way that we win this race and earn that prize, not because of our own doing, but because of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in your name. Amen.